0: Hello friends, it's me again, coming to you live from the Hobbit Kitchen in Germany. Welcome back, and uh, I hope you enjoyed last week's session. Today, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And I know what some of you are thinking, some of you are excited, because some of you come out of places where the Holy Spirit is a vibe, where you are involved with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's real, you you believe in the stuff, you're you're into the stuff. Uh, Some of you are coming out of a Christian tradition where it was like the Father and the Son and then the Holy Spirit and there wasn't a lot of emphasis on the Holy Spirit in your communities and so you're not really sure what to make of that and you've seen some strange things and then if you're listening in and uh, you're not sure about Jesus or God or any of these kinds of things, Uh, I start talking about the Holy Spirit and maybe you have no idea what I'm talking about or maybe you've heard a little bit about this and it just sounds all weird and strange and this is one of the reasons why you don't deal with these Christian people because they want to talk about this kind of stuff. Um, I'm hoping that in this session... We can look at the Holy Spirit from a few angles that make Him uh, a little bit more accessible to us, a little bit more understandable to us, um, a little bit less threatening maybe, but no less supernatural, no less powerful, no less incredible. Um, And hopefully, as we go through this, we can uh, arrive at some of those thoughts. So this is the Holy Spirit session reflecting on uh, the teaching that I got this week, and I hope you enjoy it. Who is Jesus? What is He doing? And what does it mean to follow Him in the world today? My name is Matt Lewis. This is The Follower Podcast, and everyone is invited to the conversation. Cool. So let's jump right in. Talking about the Holy Spirit. First up, I want to say, whenever we're talking about the Holy Spirit, uh, one of the first things we have to acknowledge is that He's real, or it's real, that the Spirit of God Is real. Uh, Now, that might seem like a strange way to start, but I do want to start there because so often our Christian faith or the, the person of Jesus and everything that the Christianity is about is minimized to a philosophy to moralism, right? And so people want uh, their kids to go to church so that they become good upstanding citizens, or people want their kids to go to Christian schools because they get good Christian morals and values. Uh, it, it's this idea of like everything in moderation, including God, you know? And so so God's a nice idea. The idea of Jesus is, is a nice idea. and 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 we we would even embrace the importance of Jesus. Maybe maybe some of us would even call ourselves Christian. Maybe some of us go to church. Maybe some of us serve on church boards or are involved in some kind of leadership space. Uh, maybe for the skeptic or the searcher or the seeker, there's that idea: is like I, I I like Jesus. He seems like a nice guy. I think I could maybe get my head around the idea of some kind of creative force in the world. But this idea of our Holy Spirit. Um, It all seems too far-fetched. And so the first place to start is to acknowledge that there is a Holy Spirit. Um, One of the distinctives, and we've spoken about this before, but always good to repeat, one of the distinctives of Christian theology is that the one God that we worship is... um, unified and yet distinct in three particular presentations of that God's self, right? And so there is a father or parent God, uh, there is a son of God whose name is Jesus, and then there is the spirit of God. And this God is three parts, one God. Now, if I'm very honest with you, how that works, man, I I really am not sure. And I, think, and I think anyone who can say with confidence I 100% have that figured out, um, man, I, I don't know if you've thought enough about it yet, because I, anytime I try and take it seriously and really try and get my head around how all this works, um, what I realize is that my reasoning falls short pretty quick, um, which for me is actually a comforting thought, because if I'm going to give myself to a God, if I'm going to lay my life down to follow a creator then i want to know that that creator is greater than i am right so if i could so and i think again i've said this before if i if, if everything that god is could be dissected and thrown into a test tube and proved and understood well then god would no be no longer be god i, I would be god Because the Creator then would be subject to my intellect. I I would have the greater power in the equation. So for me, in order for me to lay my life down and give myself up into the grand narrative of a creative force and to trust my life to that force and to trust my life to that person, uh, to the wisdom of that person, the power of that person, the love of that person, and, and believing that the love, person, characteristics, nature, traits of this Creator... Are, are superior to my own, right? So, th- so looking at my own life and looking at the ways that my life has been broken and fractured and realizing that I've got a ceiling on my understanding, a ceiling on my capacity. I have blind spots all around, which is why I keep falling in some of the holes that I fall into, right? And so I come to this God, this creator, and my expectation and my hope is that this creator would be superior to me, somehow greater than I am. And so then... I don't know, for me at least, it just it just goes to reason that if this God, this creator, is so much more, there would definitely be elements to that creator that go beyond my comprehension. That this God uh, does not fit in the box of my intellect. And I'm okay with that. Now, that doesn't mean that I have to commit intellectual suicide. It just means that with reason alone... I can maybe get 90% of the way there, maybe 80% of the way there, but there's always going to be that gap of faith that I have to apply in the direction of belief, knowing that in the absence of, in the absence of, of, of what my mind can conceive and with all that I don't know, I have seen enough, I know enough to believe that he still is who he says he is. Um, and I think like anybody, you know, the application of faith, we can't not have faith. So it's just about w- which direction you apply your faith in. So if you are making a definitive statement about the idea that there is no God, that's a faith issue because you can't prove to me that there is no God. In the same way that when I make a statement about the fact that there is God, I, I, it's a faith issue because I can't prove to you that there is a God because if I could, I'd be God. So as soon as soon so for me, because my conception of God or my picture of God exists in those terms, um, it's not strange to me then that there would, be an, there would be elements to this God, parts of this God, um, uh, scenarios about this God that are beyond my ability to understand. And for me, the Trinity is one of those things. And so I, can, I have some pictures that help me get my head around it. So as an example, I am one person, Matthew Lewis. To my father, I am a son. To my brother, I am a brother. And to my friends, I am a friend. So, even even in the simplicity of my little human life, there is capacity for uh, different functions within the same. Personality. So I am one person. I'm not three people, I'm not a different person when I'm a son to my father and a different person when I'm a friend to my friend and a different person when I'm a brother to my brother. And yet within that one person, there are three functions and capacities which are very distinct. I am a different kind of person with my friends than I am with my father and a different kind of person in the way that I relate to my brother than I do to my father and to my friends. And so even in that level, I can kind of understand it. Another picture for me is to say, if we look at father or parent God, uh, that is the unknowable. That is mystery. That is eternal. That's Moses standing on the mountain, Looking at the creator and saying, show me your glory. Reveal to me your, your everythingness. And the response of the creator saying, if you see my glory, Moses, you will die. And then Moses saying, well, who should I, who should I say sent me? And the response of the creator being, just tell them I am sent you. And, and the translation of that, just tell them that sheer existence <laughs> sent you. In other words, Moses, if I had to try and explain this to you, your brain would probably just melt on the spot. You would die. Just who I am is too much for your small little mind to deal with. Um, And so so that's creator God, infinite, mystery, beyond conception. And then we get Jesus, who is God made understandable, God made uh, knowable. And Jesus says this, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? And even in the letters in the Bible, it says, in the face of Christ is the glory of God. So in other words... Uh, There is nothing that is God that is not Christ-like, or as the New Testament would say, is that God, uh, the eternal creator, is Jesus-shaped. And so if, if it weren't for Jesus, we'd be shooting in the dark. We'd be hoping into a vacuum, creating all kinds of conceptions and ideas around God, and most of which would probably be projections of our own brokenness as we pinned it onto the creative force behind our universe. But then Jesus comes and puts skin on. It's eternity in a skin suit. That's who Jesus is, right? And he wears... A skin suit for us to understand. He wears our humanity. He enters into the temporary and models eternity in time. And so all of a sudden we have conception of what God could be like. How do we know what God is like? Well, we look at the sun. Is the sun kind? Yes, well, then God must be kind. Is the sun loving? Yes, well, then God must be loving. Is the sun just? Yes, he is. Well, then God must be just. And everything that the sun is, God is. And everything that the sun is not, God is not like that. Profound thought. And then the third element, this spirit of God. Uh, now, Jesus says an interesting thing in the Bible. He talks about this idea of how it's better that he goes away, because if he goes away, then the spirit will come. In other words, in some way, this spirit, this presence of God, that is God, is, it is better that we would have him than even that we would be sitting at the table with Jesus. And so the way I understand that is the spirit is God made intimate, Right. Uh, the Spirit relocates God out of eternal mystery and out of just history into the the present, into my experience. So Jesus no longer just lives in a history book. Jesus now lives in me and in you by the Spirit. And uh, is that supernatural? Absolutely. And, And I think that's where we've got to go, right? Is in our faith, if we want to really talk about what, this Jesus came to do, if we want to be followers of Jesus, one of the things we have to embrace is the supernatural. Now, uh, the way I would actually describe it is the supernormative, and and not to kind of split hairs here, but uh, when we are in our fallen state, in other words, when we are less than human, we're not actually in our natural space, right? That's why it's uncomfortable for us. So the reason why sin jars with us, the reason why um, we get angry at, at murder and rape and all kinds of uh, evil things that go on on the planet, the reason why we're offended by some of the dark, th- dark things that we hide in the dark out of shame, uh, the reason why these things don't fit with us is because th- that's not how we're naturally meant to be. In our most natural space, we are Imago Day, right? However, it's not normal that we are natural. So when you look around at the world, the norm is not redeemed humanity. The norm is fallen humanity. When you look around at the world, the norm, the normative way of being in the world is less than human. And Jesus has come to re-human the world, to lift us up to those, those image bearers who are made in the image of God and walk around on the planet representing him, those people called human Beings. And so for me, it's not so much about supernatural. It's more about supernormative, So more than what's normal and into the eternal. And th- that's a beautiful thought for you to think about. Why does that matter? Well, because you may have accepted your state as the way you are supposed to be. Right, you, you may have accepted that addiction, you may have accepted that way of thinking, you may have accepted that prejudice, that racism, that closed-mindedness, whatever the broken thing that jars with you in inside of you, you may have adopted the slogan of our time, oh well, I'm only human, it's just natural that I'm this way, and it would take something supernatural for me to get out of this, and I would say to you, no, 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 you're just normal, but actually, if you were natural, if we were in the natural, we would be so much more. So Christianity is super normative, right? <laughs> it goes beyond the norm into the natural, into what we were really created to be in our most natural state. Uh, how do we get there? Um, by God living in us. <laughs> I don't know how else to tell you that. that. That's just kind of what the Bible says. And I believe it. And I've seen it with my own eyes, right? And I've experienced it in my own life. How do profoundly selfish people become unselfish? How do people who have been weighed down and brainwashed by racism become unracist? How do haters become lovers? And how do bitter people become forgivers? And how do selfish people become uh, those who fight for justice in the earth? How does change really happen in the deepest parts of who we are? I would put it to you that it's the presence of God. He lives in you. He lives in me. Uh, there's this mass. There's this picture in Acts where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says to them, "Wait, you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and then you will be able to be." witnesses. He says in the Gospels again and again and again, I'm going to send you the gift of the comforter, the friend, the Spirit, and the Spirit will be in you as you are in me. And so here's the beautiful picture. Genesis, again, always got to go back to Genesis because it shows us where everything starts. You have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in this beautiful community um, and and they are one but many, right? And essentially what has happened in the power of the Spirit in us is that we are now invited into that community. So it's as if there's this circle of friendship and then we are placed right in the center of it by the power of the Holy Spirit who comes and lives in us. And what does the Spirit do in our lives? Uh, what What is the point of the Spirit? Well, Right in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. I love this, right? This, this blows my mind. I get so excited about this idea. Uh, it says that the earth was formless and void. And uh, then it says, and this is where we see the first mention of the Spirit of God, that the Spirit was hovering over the waters. Okay. And and then it says that this spirit then began to bring order out of chaos. Now, there's a root word there that's talking about the chaos. And that root word is tohu vavohu. Love that word, right? And essentially it just means like disorderedness and, and disconnectedness. And, and what the Spirit of God did and what the Spirit of God does is it takes the tohu vavohu. It takes the craziness and the disconnectedness of the world, the, the, the shapeless formlessness without form, the voidness. And then it creates something out of that. So, so I would put it to you that the Spirit of God is the spirit of creation, in you and in me, and that you and I, we are called to be these co creators with Christ and the, with God, right? So, so we, are, we are called to walk around and tend the garden essentially. And so when I'm walking in my city and I'm looking around at my city and there is violence and there is anger and there is uh, segregation and there is injustice and I look around at the world and things are things are a void and shapeless and chaotic. There's a tohu vavohu in my neighborhood. There's a tohu vavohu down my street. There's a there's a chaosness that is surrounding me. I have received the Spirit of God to bring creation out of chaos, to pull things together and raise things up and reveal things so that what was not seen suddenly becomes seen, so that the land appears out of the waters, so that the... Firmament is, is separated so that there becomes sky and land and, and a night star and a day star and animals and plants. and There is a creative force that lies at the center of everything that we know. And if we are Christian people, our fundamental conviction is that that spirit is alive and well in us. And so we then get to be those people who, by extension, because of the nature of this God that is in us, become these uh, order bringers, these creative forces in the world who bring sanity out of chaos. (laughs) I love that, right? You are empowered to do this when the spirit of the living God lives in you. Is this crazy? A little bit. (laughs) There's, there's no way of really getting around that. Does this stretch our mental capacities a whole lot? Does, does this push against uh, what we think uh, is acceptable? Definitely. But, but you've got to ask yourself, um, is, is the loudest voice always the right one? W- what do I mean by that? Well, there's two fish, right? And they're swimming. And as they're swimming along, they come across an older fish. And the older fish says to them, hey guys, how's the water? And then the two fish look at at one another and the one fish says to the other fish, what is water? (laughs) That's the picture. You, my friend, are drowning in a culture that you can't see. You're drowning in a worldview that you never knew existed, and so am I. And there are a whole bunch of assumptions that we make that we just think are normal, that this is just the way things are, but they aren't necessarily. And they're not uniform, and they're not global, and they're not universal truths even. And one of the things that happens, particularly, this is particularly true in Western culture, first world developed Western cultures, is that because of the water we swim in, we have written off the idea of the supernatural because we ha- we have made reason our God Can I say this is not the case when I minister in places like North Africa right when I move up into North Africa the question is never is there a God The question is never are there spirits is there spirituality? The only question that we're having a conversation about in those contexts is which God is the most powerful or which God is real and I very rarely have to sit with someone in North African contexts in a village in the bush, out in rural areas and have a conversation about the existence of a God or no God. What I have to have a conversation about is which God is good, right? And yet, if I go to universities around the world and in in developed nations, we are having these conversations as to the reality of the supernatural. Does this even exist? And I would say to you that that question is a product of the water that we don't know that we're swimming in. And when you look at the product of... Uh, of what this worldview is creating, when we sideline God and deify self, when we put reason on the pedestal and make ourselves into gods, what kind of world are we creating? Okay? Now, I know there's all kinds of abuses of the supernatural around the world. I know that. I know in a South African context, we've got people spraying doom on one another and guys driving over people with cars and all kinds of strange and weird things. We've got people ab- abusing other people's vulnerability to take their money because they're calling themselves prophets. We've seen this. I get it. But, but never judge an idea based on the, the abuse thereof, right? Investigate it for yourself. So, so just because you've only ever been exposed to broken pictures of the supernatural, does that mean we write the supernatural off altogether? Or is there a healthy way for us to enter into the supernatural where we can take on that creative power of God to bring order out of chaos, to be more than normal, to enter into what we were really made to be, I believe there is. What are some of the signposts we could use? How? What are some helpful things to think about when we want to start trying to engage in the Holy Spirit, when we want to start acknowledging The Holy Spirit. Um, I think the first one is about time. The first one is about time. Uh, Any relationship, and the Holy Spirit is a personhood, a personality, because the Holy Spirit is an element of God. Any relationship, in order to develop intimacy, requires time, just across the board. And so if you want to develop friendship and relationship with the present spirit of your Creator, you need to give time to doing that. You need to, beautiful phrase I've been learning these last couple of weeks, you need to learn to waste time with God, (laughs) waste time just in in the presence of the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? Uh, We had this exercise we did this week, beautiful, we just uh, put down our journals, put down our pens, put down all our work, put on our jackets and walked out into the forest and we just asked the Holy Spirit, just said, Holy Spirit, would you just show me yourself today? And we just went for a walk, man. And I, guys, I just went for a walk through these paths, sat down on a bench. And as I was looking up at these trees, Spirit of God just started to speak to me in a profound way. And it wasn't loaded. There was no agenda. This wasn't an outcomes-based issue. It was just me being in the presence of God. And it was profound. I wonder if you've ever had uh, that idea to, to just waste time with God. Now, this concept of slowing down and giving time to building intimacy with God, it's a really difficult concept, particularly for those of us, again, who come out of First World Western context. Why? Because we have the false assumption that time belongs to us. <laughs> we think time is ours. And so we say things like, I don't want to waste my time. I must make the most of my time Time is money, right? In other words, time, Time. I've heard it said that time is the one asset that you can't afford to waste, right? In other words, time belongs to you. Your time is your thing to choose what you do with. But in reality, that's not the case at all. See, time doesn't belong to you. Time belongs to the one who created time, who before there was a beginning existed. Time belongs to God. And because God is so good, how do we know that? Well, because when we look at Jesus, we see how good God is. We know that God only wants the best for our lives, which means we should come before the Father and ask Him, ask the Holy Spirit, how do you want me to spend time today? Spend your time today that you've given me, you've gifted, you've stewarded it to me. right? You've lent it to me. It's a venture capitalist coming to you and saying, here's some money to start the work, but I'd like to see a return on my investment. It's Jesus coming to us, God coming to us, the Spirit of God coming to us and saying, I've given you time in the day. Would you like to know how best you could use it to get the biggest reward? Okay. When we start to understand that time is not our own, we start to be way more open-handed with it. And so we start to invest it. Now, how would God have us invest our time? He'd have us invest it with eternity in mind. See, so you're, you're an eternal being and you have an eternal destination, whether you like it or not. And we spend all our time, uh, the time that's been entrusted to us, investing the, in, in temporary things. I'm not saying you shouldn't work well. I'm not saying you don't need to make a living. I'm not saying you don't need a roof over your head. I get all that kind of stuff. But, but friends, uh, more deadlines, a bigger bank balance, these things are not going to be with you in eternity. What will be with you? Uh, people. <laughs> people will be with you. The friendship you've built with God will carry you through and continue on into eternity. And when we realize that our 80 years on this planet are simply a comma on a, in a grand narrative that is all about the Creator and that the great invitation of that Creator is that we could have friendship with Him that starts today and continues forever, when we live with eternity in mind, it changes the way we use the time that we've been given. And so I would just encourage you as a starting place, If you want to build friendship with the Holy Spirit, if you want to enter into the supernatural, supernormative, if you want to start living as a real human being and start having the capacity to bring order out of chaos in your own world and in the world in which you live, in your internal world and in the world that surrounds you, one of the first things you're going to have to choose is uh, time and how you spend the time you've been given. And then as we come to God with time, it's not only that we come, but how we come that matters. And I would suggest that one of the postures of heart we've got to carry in those spaces of time are postures of vulnerability and surrender. Uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense if I, if I ta- choose to take time to be in the, the presence of God, but then have a guarded heart. And there are a whole bunch of out-of-bound areas within my being that I'm not willing to let the Holy Spirit into. If I'm going to take time to be with God and build friendship with the Holy Spirit who's with me, then I need to do that in a surrendered posture. In other words, nothing is off limits. My hands are open. There's a blank check on the table. God, you go wherever you want to go. Spirit, you can talk about anything you want to talk about. I am listening. And is and that scary it is, but it's less scary when you realize that God is trustworthy. He's faithful. He's good. And he won't violate your confidence in him. Right. And then finally for me, so it's not only that we come and how we come, but as a third element, how we respond in our coming. So imagine this picture. You have a wife or a husband, and this is a significant relationship. And you spend time, so that's step one, awesome. You are having a meal once a week, date night, things are going well. In that time together, you're being vulnerable and open and honest, so authenticity is being built and integrity is being built and intimacy is being built in that space. And then in one of these times, as intimacy starts to grow, your wife says to you, "Um, listen, I really don't like flowers, but I really do like chocolates. And you nod your head and smile, it's all very romantic. And then you walk out the door and you buy her a bunch of flowers and you never buy her chocolates. Does that build intimacy? It doesn't build intimacy because what it's what it's showing is that you haven't taken seriously the things that are close to your heart. And what it does is it compromises uh, the authentic nature of the connection. And so when it comes to our relationship with God and the Holy Spirit, it's that we come, that we give time, that we invest our time in this relationship, how we come, that we come vulnerable, open and authentic in that space, and then how we respond into the conversations we've had. In other words, if the Spirit of God tells us something that's on the heart of God for us and for the world around us, we need to respond in obedience. If, God, if as we spend time in relationship with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God tells us, hey, listen, that, that Netflix series you're watching, it's not good for you. And then we walk out the door and we just keep watching it, we're compromising intimacy. And if we're in friendship with God and he starts saying, you know, you know, those homeless people that are down the road from you, that hurts my heart. And we walk out the door and we do nothing about that. It compromises intimacy, not because God's angry, but because because we're not flowing with the natural progression of how intimacy grows and builds. Right. And so so here's here's how this goes. You are an eternal being. You are created from an eternal source. The beautiful declaration of the Christian gospel is that God can be known and that the power of God can exist alive inside of human beings who then take on the nature of God in the world. And that happens through the supernormative, supernatural miracle of the Spirit of God alive in us, with us, upon us, here, now, today. And as we invest our lives and come open with our hearts and respond in obedience to the promptings of that Holy Spirit, we build intimacy, friendship with the very creator of the universe and we begin to change. And as we change, the world changes around us because we carry the presence of the one that we've been spending time with. And we look like this beautiful list in Galatians chapter 5, 22 to 23, people who are full of love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We start to carry the very nature of the God we've seen in Jesus. And that, my friends, is the most supernatural, redemptive thing in the world. And so is the Holy Spirit real? Absolutely. Can you know God? Yes, you can. What should you do next? I'd say you need to invest some time. Be with God, go for a walk, watch the sunset be in the presence of your creator come open come vulnerable come honest take off all the no entry points give him full access to your life and then listen carefully as he speaks and whatever he says do that you keep doing that day after day after day week after week after week month after month after month year after year after year and here's what you'll start to find you'll change and you won't even notice (laughs) (laughs) and you will start to look so much like the God that you have been spending time with. It's a gift, and I'm just praying that you'll use it. Hey, thanks for listening, guys, and uh, take some time this week, and we'll catch up with you next week as we recap all that we've been hearing.